My name is Julie Turney, and this is HR Sound Off, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent HR topics. But ultimately, we will be settling some of the many misconceptions that people have about the human resources profession. Some weeks you will hear from my guests, and other times it will be just you and me in the sound booth. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's sound off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of HR Sound Off. I am pleased to bring our guest to you today. You know, I don't do files because when I ask you to tell me your story, you're going to tell me your story. And within that is a file within itself. So our guest today is a writer, recruiter, extraordinaire, uh, with so much wealth of knowledge and experience. And I am just super happy that he agreed to be a part of today's show. And so without further ado, I am going to welcome to the sound booth, Tim Sackett. (laughs) Yay! That's right. All for you. All for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they don't... I'm doing good. They don't get to see the studio audience, you know, so, you know, that's nice, you know. That's, that's right. You know, it's a lot of stuff that happens in the background. Just think of it as, you know, one of those comedies where they go, the coffee show is you to be in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> you know what is weird? Like, have you watched, uh, I mean, I'm already taking you totally off base, right? So when you watch like Netflix and some of the modern kind of, I would say, um, like sitcom shows versus like old school, like the Friends ones, where they have that laugh track that's like jammed in there. It yeah. seems so awkward now to go back and watch one of those old ones and hear that fake laughter versus like just one now that doesn't have any of that. <laughs> no, not at all. And I can laugh when I want to, whether it's yeah. funny or not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Love it. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank and, you for having me. Uh, oh, you're welcome. So let's kick things off for all of our guests out there, um, especially most of my audience from the Caribbean. Who is Tim Sackett? What is your HR journey and how did you get here? I know. I'm just a simple HR pro looking for a job in the Caribbean. Um, no, no. <laughs> I know. By the way, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I bet at least twice a week I'll walk home or not walk home. I'll go home, walk into my house and tell my wife we're moving to Cayman or we're moving to, you know, Barbados or wherever, because, um, you know, we get so tired of uh, all the all the stuff that we're having to put up with here in America. But, um, you know, yeah, it's still a great place to live. But. Um, so who am I? Uh, I? I run IT engineering staffing firm out of Michigan. I've been doing that about the last 10 years. Before that, I did corporate HR and, and talent acquisition roles for a couple for some big companies. Um, got my master's in HR. And I actually am right now running the company that my mother started. Um, oh, wow. And she's, she started that when I was nine years old. So yeah. um, you know, single, my parents got divorced when I was young. So single mom raising my, my sister and I, and decided to start a business when not a lot of women were starting businesses and in a tech field, which, you know, Mm -hmm. also wasn't something that many women were doing. And um, I remember I tell people like people always ask like, Oh, how did you get in recruiting? And I'm like, Oh, I was born into recruiting. And I'm like, (laughs) well, I was was about, I was probably nine. Um, And actually I was, it was younger than that, but um, because 
before she started her own company, she worked in the recruiting industry. And I remember being at home and she would, she would have to make calls at night because, you know, back then that's kind of what recruiters did. And, right. um, and having two young kids, she would actually sit us on our bed, her bed, and she would turn the TV on, turn the volume off. And then she would make recruiting calls and we'd listen to her make these calls while we watched TV with no sound. And then, <laughs> um, and back then too, we didn't have like the computer systems, everything was on paper. So she would always have to send out like questionnaires or like right. thanks, no thanks letters or stuff like that. And so while she was talking, she would have the phone like, you know, kind of propped on her shoulder and she would be doing all this stuff and signing things and making forms. And, and then she would hand them to my, my sister and I, we would fold them and stuff them and then she would address oh, them. Wow. Um, and so like, I was a part of all of that as a really young boy and um, got to watch my mom start her company. And then um, obviously had the ability to come in and, and do that right out of college and then start my corporate career and then come back um, when she decided to retire and come in and run the company. So I've been pretty fortunate um, to have really good role models um, you know, in that space, you know, kind of growing up and, and seeing that. So that's awesome. So you literally grew up in an HR space, like recruiting. So that's awesome. Yeah. No. And, and my mom was, you know, um, you know, another positive. She, I mean, she was, I think, I think I, I it's funny because when I got married, um, my wife, you know, I think was in a pretty traditional kind of family setting. Dad went off to work in some factory as an engineer and blah, blah, blah. And she really had no idea even what he, what, what he did. Like she had mm-hmm. no idea. And I remember the first time, like I, I, you know, we met and we were dating and decided, you know, obviously get engaged. And I went and stayed with her and her parents during one of the holidays and her uh-huh. dad and I decided to go golfing. And so we're out golfing. I'm asking him about his career, asking him about this and that. And we're just talking and doing what we do, especially, uh-huh. you know, for me. And I went home and we're talking. I'm like, you never told me that your dad did this or did. And she, they had no idea. Like they never had asked. Wow. My mom was so open with us about the trials and tribulations of recruiting and starting a business and the money side of it and everything. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was natural for me. And I didn't realize that that wasn't natural for everybody. So many of my friends and family, their kids had no idea what they did and how much money they made in any of that. And so as a recruiter, making that transition for me professionally mm-hmm. seemed pretty easy. I was, I was comfortable talking about all that stuff. So Yeah, definitely. And we really appreciate you sharing your experience, Tim. I am completely blown away from learning that new side of you, <laughs> for sure. That is a legacy that, you know, you've carried down to the end of these, you know, totally um, proud of the fact that you actually grew up living and experiencing an HR professional in your space and then aspiring and taking over a business. That's absolutely fantastic. It's got to be the first time I've heard that kind of story. <laughs> I know. Most people, most people fall into it, right? How did you yeah. get into it? Oh, I fell into it. <laughs> yeah. But you have a completely different story. That's what makes you unique, my friend. (laughs) So I want want to talk a little bit about um, recruitment. So you recruit in tech. And I think that a lot of people feel that recruiting is recruiting, no matter what function you are recruiting for. But I always maintain, being a recruiter in tech myself, that it's not the same thing. And maybe for 
naysayers in my audience who don't agree with me. I'm hoping you can back me up here. <laughs> you might have the wrong person. Um, now, here, here's what I'll say is that, because I've got I've recruited in technology, I've recruited in healthcare, and I've recruited in like retail, restaurant, dining. I think wherever you decide to recruit in, if you're a good recruiter, you can recruit in any industry if you're willing to learn the language and learn the business. And I think so often somebody will be a recruiter and, you know, in one area and they'll go, and you know, or, I mean, we see it all the time, Julia. I mean, we see mm-hmm. someone going, oh, I need a tech recruiter or I need a nurse recruiter. Or, I need something specific. And what they're really saying is we don't really want to train you in the language of, in the business of what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not that somebody can't learn that. I mean, I remember sitting when I got, uh, when I was the head of uh, town acquisition for a really big health system, hospital system, I had come from Applebee's, a restaurant chain. And the CEO had told the CHRO, I don't want to hire him because he doesn't know our, our world. Wow. And, and, but, the, but the CHRO was like, no, no, no. Like, you understand, like, he's by far the best one we've interviewed. Like, and so I sat with the CEO and talked to him for about an hour. And, and then he understood, like, and it wasn't about I, that I couldn't understand nursing or I couldn't understand what a doctor was or what, something like that. It was, am I willing and how am I going to do that? And what's mm-hmm. that transition going to take and how long is it going to take? And, you know, and, and I was, you know, I came in and did things that the people before me didn't even do. Right. So I, you know, I had recruiters that were recruiting nurses that had never even walked down the floor with the nursing manager, you know? And so, wow. you know, we had to really change some of those behaviors and, and it wasn't that, you know, that they couldn't recruit a nurse, you can recruit anything, right? Like, I mean, yeah. theoretically, someone says, oh, I need a, you know, a rocket scientist. Like, even though you and I have never been a rocket scientist, we can go find a rocket scientist. Like, that's not the difficult part. Yeah. The difficult part is, is making that person who is a rocket scientist feel comfortable about the, the role that you're offering them and putting them then in. And the more that you know about the leader and the team and the group and what they're doing and how they're doing it, then you can actually talk them in. So, so I, I agree with you and I disagree with you at the same time. I agree with you that you have to know the language and really be yeah. invested in understanding mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're great at recruiting, you can teach yourself all of that too. So. Right, absolutely. Thank you so much for setting the record straight there. I'm gonna ask you, like, what's the worst recruiting experience you've ever had? You know, for me, it always, I think, goes back to hiring managers that um, probably just never, I I didn't, they didn't care. They didn't care about hiring as much as I thought they should, right? I didn't, they didn't understand, I think, the importance of it. It was just, oh, find me a body and let's just hire the first person. And then they would get in there and they would have high turnover and they just weren't invested in the process as much. And, you know, and then because I think the one, if I look at the other side and say, what are the best kind of experiences I've had as recruiting? It's truly feeling like the hiring manager and I were one, like we Mm -hmm. were on the same page. We were working together to really improve that talent on that team and make Mm -hmm. that team better. And, you know, there was nothing they were holding back and there was nothing they weren't telling me. And And the same with me, I was keeping them informed all along the way. And we really felt that synergy and so, you know, when it goes bad, it's usually for me, you know, I, and again, I always take kind of ownership and understand why, mm-hmm. why can't I make that same relationship with that hiring manager versus that one? You know, why yeah. is it so good with somebody else, but not good with another? 
Mm-hmm. And there's usually, it usually is, there's some kind of personality conflict, either I'm too much for that person or not enough for that person or whatever, who knows, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had issues where I've taken over a hiring manager from another recruiter that that hiring manager just loved, you know, and all of a sudden I'm the new person coming in and they, you right. know, I, why do I have you? I like Julie a thousand times better. You know, you're just like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, this is the way it's going. Uh-huh. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know um, it can be a challenge at times, especially when you're working with hiring managers who aren't as cooperative or aren't as invested in the, the, the role as you are. And just putting that seat, um, person in a seat, some people just want to fill a seat versus, you know, you want to get the best person in that role and you just want the manager to cooperate. What is your advice for a lot of my audience are HR generalists. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing recruitment on, on payroll and everything all in one. What is your advice to those in my audience, um, maybe everyone um, who may be a specialist as well, in terms of investing, being invested in that function that you're carrying out when it comes to recruiting and making that separation from all the other stuff that you're doing in that moment in time. How can I get the best out of what I'm doing in this particular moment while I'm wearing my recruiter hat? I think part of it is understanding what you like and dislike about every part of the function you do as a generalist, right? So if you're the generalist that loves payroll, because, you know, the the great thing about doing payroll is that you know, you, you have this entire process that's, you know, that's a step-by-step and at the end it's completed and it's tight and everything matches and everything equals out. And it's, you go home and you're like, Oh, it worked today. Right. Like it's, I I completed something. It feels like with recruiting, it's never completed, even when you hire somebody, because there's another one coming. So you just don't get that same, Hey, today I did this and and, and I, and I go home and I feel like I got something completed um, because it's a longer process and it takes time. And there's so many moving pieces and parts mm-hmm. and, you know, you think you get to the end and then the candidate, you know, decides to bail on you or whatever. Um, I think you have to understand, like, if you love the tactical aspects of HR, recruiting is going to be really difficult. And so what you, ha- but if you know that, then have those conversations, you know, with the hiring manager to say, hey, here's what I can deliver. Here's what mm-hmm. I can't deliver how do we how do we meet in the middle or how do we figure this out so that it works for everybody too often we try to say okay i have 50 things that i have to deliver and i'm just i'm just going to work harder i'm going to work longer i may deliver everything and ultimately we burn ourselves out and we fail we usually fail at everything at that point yeah. so i think it's really important to understand am i doing something just because it's easy and I'm good at it and I can complete it. And it might not be easy, but it's easy because I'm good at it. Right. Um, Or I'm not doing something because guess what? It's, I'm not that good at it or I'm not comfortable with it. And then I, you know, if I I say I leave it for the end or I leave it, you know, to the last and then I fail Um, Mm -hmm. really like digging into yourself and having that self insight, I think helps you as a generalist to understand if I'm going to be good at recruiting what can I do in recruiting really good? And then what, when I, what am I not going to be really good at? And then how do I work with the rest of the team that maybe somebody else would be good at that, right? Maybe somebody mm-hmm. else can pick that up 
um, or at least they, everyone understands like, hey, here's what we're going to be able to produce for you. Too often, I think as HR people, we, we promise, we overpromise, underdeliver. And I always want to underpromise and overdeliver. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we just never, we never, I mean, it's a natural reaction because we want to, we want to give everybody what they need, but we, sometimes we just can't, you know. It's true. It's a very dis- delicate balance, especially when you are a generalist. But I thank you so much for sharing that advice. So, class 101, if you could create a recruitment fact sheet right now for our audience to get the most out of their function as a recruiter, what would you tell them? What's your well, context? Yeah, the first thing I ever always say is I understand um what technology that you might be using or not using um and people always say oh tim like we just you know we don't have any technology we're just still running off of excel spreadsheets or file folders or just stacks of applications or whatever that might be mm-hmm. i will tell you that there you know there's no reason to do that and you're like oh yeah the other yeah, is because I, I don't have any budget well there's free systems out there you can get a free ats system for one user and you can do that and post your jobs and, you know, and, and manage that electronically. And if you already have, a, a, you know, an HR system that has, you know, an ATS or talent acquisition kind of, you know, system in there, mm-hmm. become a super user of that system first. Use as much of that technology to automate the job as you can, mm-hmm. because that's going to allow you, it's going to give you more time to actually do the job. So often we just, we're like, nope, here's the manual process we have. And we just try to do more and more and more of it and try to become more efficient with it. And the technology is always going to be more efficient, but so often we just kind of walk away from it or we're only using like 10 or 20% of our technology and not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one, be a master of the technology you have, be a super user. Um, it's going to help you more than anything. I think the second piece of it is, is really truly understanding how much you're pushing referrals. So if we know referral hires are, are are one of our best hires we can make from a quality standpoint, from a, just a number standpoint. How are we continuing to push that every single day? What are we doing to get more referral hires? How are we working with our managers and our teams? And it could be something as simple as I have a manager and he has four direct reports and I'm going to go for 20 minutes and meet with those five individuals. And we're all going to pull in our laptops and our cell phones and everything. And we're just going to do some sourcing real quick. We're going to figure out who is the next person that we want to hire for this job as a team. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to contact them. I'm going to be the one that's going to contact, but give me the name, give me the, the email address, give me everything you have. Right. And because usually that's where the person's going to come from anyways, right? Is those kind of folks. And, and what happens is if you can get the team and the manager to take on some of that understanding and ownership of how they get to choose the next person for their team, mm-hmm. they actually really like it. They like doing it because they know that they're finally, they're going to, they have some control and they're going to hire someone really well. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, it makes your job way easier. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, it's just better, better time spent. I think so often we spend times on, Oh, we just need to find a new place to post the job and we're going to post the job. And then we're going to pray for somebody to apply Versus mm-hmm. saying, how about we spend less time doing that, more time trying to get uh, you know, our current you know, workforce to refer somebody really good. Mm-hmm. And too often I see refer, you know, employee referral programs, they're designed, they get put up on the board, and then they t- get talked about once, and then no one talks about them again. 
in the best referral programs are when somebody's reminding people every single day, every single week that, hey, you know, hey, here's the new job that we have out. And here's, you know, I'm going to send it to the four people that we hired, you know, the past people, because they know the job better than anybody. They know who will be working in this job better than anybody. And just continue to go down that path. Um, In most organizations, 60 to 70% of the people you hire are probably going to be referral hires. And if they're not, you're underutilizing your employee base in terms of hiring. So those two things, be really good at tech, be really good at referrals, I think will help somebody quicker than anything. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. Those are very powerful facts. Um, So we appreciate Fact Sheet 101 on recruiting from Tim Packett. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So let me ask you this. You mentioned about the ATS system. A lot of people, uh, and this is a lot of conversation that we're having now, especially in the Caribbean, about the per- the personalization and still keeping the human in recruiting. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings on using the ATS system and still being human as you recruit? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it depends on where you need, I think where you're going to put the human into the process, right? And do you need it? Um, you know, right away at the first step or, you know, is there a point where you can do, I think everybody now, when you think about how you go out and purchase something online, you know, and that experience, you know, people um, as applicants, they expect a similar kind of experience. They expect that they can go out, they can apply for a job and that they're going to get feedback. They're going to get the feedback, like, you know, that's automated that says, oh yeah, hey, we received your application and we'll be letting you know. Where we fail is when we don't let them know, right? When we don't do the mind, like the minimum stuff to say, oh, by the way, got your application. Um, You're not a fit, but you might be a fit for these other things. Keep your eyes out, you know, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, whatever that might be. Right. Um, Or, you know, where should they expect personalization? So sometimes, and I've seen websites, you know, career sites where they've actually said like, hey, if you get an interview, we will guarantee that will give you some personal feedback, right? And so they're letting people know what to expect that, hey, at this step is where you're gonna get that. And people right. are like, oh, okay, that makes sense. At least they know when they yeah. apply, they're, they're not going, oh, wait a minute, I didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, but then, you know, again, we have to deliver. I will tell you like um, the talent board who does the um, candidate experience awards, the candies, only 47% of candidates say that they get dispositioned which I think is just outrageous, right? When you think of the, the technology that we have, right. why don't why don't 100% of candidates that apply for a job either get the job or get told they're not going to get the job? Right. Like that should be a bare minimum, 100%. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yet only 47%. So we have all these people applying to jobs that never hear a oh. thing. And I just think that's outrageous. We shouldn't do that. Mm, absolutely. So funny because I actually saw in... One of the group chats that I'm in was an HR group. A question was asked, I think, yesterday with regards to if I post a job the next day in the, in the posting, um, suitable candidates only will be contacted. Why would a candidate call me to ask me why I never called them? Because they felt like they were a suitable candidate. And and if you look at your job description and you look at their application or resume, more than likely, right, they probably have a belief that they're a suitable candidate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I thought it was an interesting question and a very valid one. I'm 
No, I just, yeah, I just think we have to be better at our, um, we have to be more clear and concise about what do we really mean, right, by that, um, you know, and, and understand that desperate times, you know, people are going to be, you know, are going to do more, and, and there's a, there's a big feeling out there that if I show a company, if I show Julie how desperate I am for this job, how I'm willing to jump through hoops, how I'm willing to mm-hmm. contact her, that that's going to get noticed and I'm going to get a job. By the way, it actually works psychologically. Like more mm-hmm. people that reach out like that are more likely to get a job than those who don't. So right. even though we get we get upset, we get upset by the people that reach out to us that are garbage. Like, you know, like wait a minute, this is a software engineer job and you don't even have one ounce of software experience. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I get upset by that. Now, if a great software engineer reaches out to me and asks me why I haven't called me yet, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm sorry, yeah, let's, let's talk yeah. right now. So, so there is a little bit of uh, like truth and untruth to all of that, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think that um, one of the things that we really have to appreciate and we don't talk enough about is the candidate experience. Like um, we talk about employee experience, we talk about employee engagement, but candidates will eventually possibly become employees. And how we treat our candidates in the process is, is vital. And so when we take into consideration the things like that you mentioned and give our candidates a good experience, if something else comes along the line, they will apply again and they might have the qualifications, they might have everything that they need yeah. in order to put them in that role. But what's going to stop them from not applying is that experience that you gave them the first time you're right. And you know, and the thing is, what's amazing with candidates is their expectations of us are so low. I mean, literally all they want to know is a couple of things. Did you get my resume or my application? Yes or no? And am I going to get an interview? You know, yeah. I mean, and if you can just let them know those simple things, like that's, that's like the level of expectation. And we can't even deliver that, which I think yeah. is, you know, again, doesn't make any sense to me, but. Absolutely. We definitely need to do better. And I agree with you 100%. So you heard it right here. You need to do better when it comes to <laughs> creating a great candidate experience. You know, I think the hard ones, Julie, are the ones where somebody posts a job and they get 100 applications or 100 resumes and they're like, how? Right. And if they don't have automation, how mm-hmm. do I do that? And I'm like, I, I don't have the, the, the I mean, I don't have the right answer. I think you you figure it out. You figure out a way to send out a mass blind copy email to everybody. You figure out a way to have one of your admins in the company that has a little bit extra capacity. I mean, here's my thing is like, every if we have an organization, there's always gonna be somebody that has a little bit of extra time on their hands that might wanna elevate their skills. And if you say, right. hey, in HR, I'm looking for help with a project it's a candidate experience project where we want to test something. Does anybody have an extra three hours a week they're willing to give to HR to help with this project? And by the way, you can put that on your resume. It's going to be pretty cool. It's going to help elevate mm-hmm. your career. Absolutely. You would have a bunch of people reaching out and then you go, okay, here's, here's the job, right? The, the job is not tell the candidate, the candidates that we don't want, your job is to make sure that they get communicated to. And we're going to do that through email or text messenger and whatever platform you decide to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think if we really start to get creative, I think we can figure it out. But so so often we don't think of that. We don't think of, oh gosh, I could have somebody in accounting or somebody in operations that maybe has a couple hours extra a week to help us out in HR. And we think we can't do that. Why not? 
they're an employee, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not asking him to do an. I'm not asking him to do like an HR file audit, right? Yeah. Like a, <laughs> exactly. Just just the bare minimum. Just the bare minimum. Exactly. I think you can handle that. Actually, that's a great idea because I think I don't think I've ever thought about you know asking somebody else in the organization to help me with something like that because they may have the time. Um, some other department may have the resources that they could lend to me to do that. It's a newer it's a newer concept. I think you know Workday when we talk about HR technology, Workday has developed an entire internal mobility gig um, like job board within their right. platform. So mm-hmm. for those Workday companies that are using that. If you're a manager, you could go out and post something and say, oh, I have this project, right? Um, we're going to do this and I need eight hours a month or eight hours a week. And people can actually apply for those jobs, you know, that way. And sometimes they're highly technical. Sometimes they're just, you know, maybe it's something else. Maybe they need some data knowledge or whatever. Who knows? But again, I think it's, it helps people develop skills and develop um, their resume, but also show people within the organization that I'm willing to do more and you're already paying me. So why not? You know, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. So that's good advice and definitely something you could possibly look at if you're not looking at it right now. So yeah. thank you for thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. Your next question. What are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you think other HR pros should be doing the same? I'm a huge um, Gladwell fan, Malcolm Gladwell. I love all of his books. I love his podcast. So I consume anything Gladwell. (laughs) Um, It doesn't matter if he's writing an article or talking on a podcast or writing a book. I'm going to, I'm going to consume that. Um, I like the, um, you know, the podcast um, called the Prof G. So Scott Galloway is a marketing professor out of New York uh, University, NYU. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really like that. I read um, a lot of economist stuff. I'm kind of a, I mean, I, I became kind of an HR data nerd. So I love the data aspects of stuff and understanding right. how data and all of our people stuff and, and organizational stuff kind of come together and how mm-hmm. we can be better. So um so I do think like, you know, that definitely, you know, is stuff that I try to consume a lot of um, uh-huh. from, from that standpoint. So. Okay, cool. And we will share that list in the comments when we release this episode. All right. Great. Thank you. Sure. What is the biggest pet peeve that you have about the misconceptions people have about HR. So what's the biggest misconception? Let me rephrase it. The biggest misconception that people have about HR that you want to set the record straight on right now? Um, that we're not the Grim Reaper. Um, I, I, my first like real HR job, I was with a big retail organization and I would have to go to retail operations around the country, right? And, and, and every time I walked in, it was always like, oh, HR's here, you know, like scared. Like I was there yeah. to, to fire somebody. And, it, you know, for me, it was, I w- and by the way, that happened quite a bit. Like I was there to fire somebody. <laughs> um, unfortunately, that's part of the job. Um, yeah. But I wasn't, I wasn't the one making that decision right? Mm-hmm. To try to get people to understand I'm just the tool that's being used by leadership to kind the of make this happen, effort. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a leader made a decision that you weren't performing. 
and now I have to deliver the news and sometimes with them, sometimes without them, who knows, you know, either way, I was just going to be the vehicle of what, what yeah. they're, I wasn't the one making that decision. Now, and even, even to the case of, let's say a sexual harassment investigation. Now mm-hmm. I could investigate and I could recommend that that person should be terminated, but ultimately a leader of that person who reported to them was going to make that decision. Now, if they were going to try to make the wrong decision, <laughs> I was probably going to elevate that to yeah. our general counsel or to another executive, but still somebody else was making that decision. I was right. just advising on what the, the, the most risk adverse decision would be. Right. And so I think having employees understand that really HR isn't the one that's going to fire you. Um, it's really because your leader thinks you're not performing well or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, if, if you reach out to HR and you, and you have a great relationship, they're probably going to be able to help you uh, perform better, you know, keep your job, do whatever it takes if you're willing to listen um, and, and kind of follow. So I always thought that that was, it was kind of funny that I, they thought, you know, I was the grim reaper coming in and, and mm-hmm. you know, in pe- cutting people when in actuality, the person that they should have been most afraid of, they probably worked next to every single day. Can you say that again for the people in the back? <laughs> I believe did not hear what you just said. The people that they should be most afraid of were not me in HR, but the person they were working next to every single day. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am so glad that you said that because I, I, for so long, I always say to people, you know, we are not, it's never our decision to let someone go. And the person who you should be most afraid of is probably the person that you're working directly with. Oh, yeah. No, and I've, I've been in meetings, um, in a termination meeting with an employee and the leader. And the leader go, I'm really sorry, but, you know, HR is making me do this. Now, I didn't say anything in front of that employee, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you get the meeting done and you move on. Yeah. But afterwards, that leader got a big mouth. And then the leader always is like, oh, my gosh, I just was so nervous. And it just came out. I don't know why I said that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's because you're conflict avoidant, right? And yeah. you became friends with somebody who wasn't performing. Guy. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I've seen it happen all too many times. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Tim, you are also a writer, and I actually love reading a lot of your articles. Can you tell these amazing people listening to this podcast where they can find your blog and where they can find you on social media? Yeah. So I I write, I've been writing every single business day. So Monday through Friday on my blog, timsackett.com, for going on almost 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, it started as, uh, it's called the Tim Sackett Project because it started as a project. I had a buddy of mine, Chris Dunn, who started Fistful of Talent, which that's where I first started writing. And mm-hmm. I still write there every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But he, he wrote every day, you know, and mm-hmm. he was like, oh, you have a lot to say. You should write. And he's like, just do it for a year. Challenge yourself to do it for a year. And then if you don't like it, you can just stop and say the project is over, right? Yeah. Um, and that was almost 10 years ago. I've been writing um, every day. So Tim Sackett um, on the social media stuff as well. So whether that's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, everything's branded the same. Um, you can find my book on Amazon, The Talent Fix. Um, yeah. If you Google Tim Sackett, there's me and there's one other Tim Sackett who is a truck driver chaplain in, in Minnesota. Um, I'm not what? him. 
<laughs> He's a, a, a truck driver chaplain. So he goes around to like truck stops mm-hmm. and administers the gospel to truck drivers who don't have, oh. you know, that, that probably don't have a church to go to, something church. like that. Yeah, okay. okay. So, I, so I tell people all the time, I go, we're two different dudes, but it would be amazing if we were the same guy, but we're not. He's a, he's a truck driver chaplain. I write every day on the internet and I stole all of his SEO. So now he probably is upset at me because he doesn't come up, you know, or he doesn't come up on the Google results as much as I do. So. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing title? A truck driver chaplain. Truck driver chaplain. <laughs> wow. There's a job description. I know. <laughs> I know. And I tell you, I've been to some, some truck, some, uh, some uh, truck stops and there, that's a group of people that need a chaplain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> and with that, turn back at you have survived your time in the samples today. I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom as it relates to recruiting, letting us know who you are and what really intrigues you and keeps you excited in your profession. Awesome. Thank you, Julie. And keep this up. I think this is amazing that uh, you've been providing this platform for people. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing more, reading more all about you and staying in touch. Definitely. I feel like we now need to do a part two. (laughs) I'm always available. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again when we next sound off.